Hello and welcome to the NCTM podcast. I'm Gwen Trezida from the NCTM communications team. In this episode, we're giving you the chance to listen in on a conversation recorded in December 2021 between a research mathematician, Douglas Coates, and the teacher that taught him A-level maths, Tom Rainbow. As you'll hear in the conversation, maths only really came alive for Doug when studying A-level and has since then become his career. Doug explains how this happened and he and Tom reflect on Tom's A-level lessons. We hope that their conversation will be inspiring to any of you with the challenge of talented but apathetic students in your GCSE classes and also give some insight into the life of a research mathematician. Doug also has a lovely little maths problem for you to try or to share with your students. First of all, I'm going to ask Tom to introduce his conversation with Doug. Tom now leads professional development for teachers in post-16 maths, particularly core maths for the AMSP, the Advanced Maths Support Programme. So Tom, can you start off by giving us a bit of context to the conversation you had with Doug? And do you want to start by telling us when it was that you taught him A-level maths? I think it was around about 10 years ago. And did you teach him before A-level as well? No, it was only subsequently that I spoke to some of his ex-teachers and to him himself and he and they informed me and he informed me that you know at GCSE he wasn't really that interested in mathematics. So he came across as interested right from the start? At I don't remember you? him coming across as apathetic no. I like to start A-level my A-level lessons off quite differently so it felt it probably felt quite different to him right from the word go. Um, I always used to teach the coordinate geometry section and leave the algebra to somebody else. And I was always pleased with that um, because uh, you can do lots of interesting things with coordinate geometry and, and it can feel quite different to yeah. the way in which a lot of people are taught at GCSE and probably the way that I taught GCSE. And, and how did you come to be having this conversation with him? Well, um, I was running a, a an event for teachers which was entitled Beyond the Textbook. And it, it occurred to me in the planning of this event that actually it would be very useful to talk to a student who had experienced these things. Doug sprung to mind as somebody who who really appreciated that way of learning and whilst and I think you mentioned this in the in the conversation that we subsequently had that he did enjoy working on textbook problems. Um, I think it was when he could get involved in a discussion and that discussion could have been around something that was in the textbook but it often was at its most enlightening and, and interesting when it was something which um, perhaps was unexpected and you know cropped up as a result of just talking about maths. Often those things weren't things that you necessarily had planned beforehand. So we'll skip to the conversation now where Tom starts by asking Doug about how he came to take A-level maths. You know going back to that first term of A-level. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I am really conscious of the fact that I, I, I like you to try and disassociate uh, your, your teacher from the experience and just think about the mathematics. I'd like to say straight off the bat that, I mean, this, you know, I think you, you're, you're completely right. There was an enormous change for me at some point in that first year of A-level, where I went from having absolutely no interest in particular of doing maths to wanting to do maths as a career. And I stuck to that. It wasn't something that was just a, a fleeting thing either. It was something that I really pursued. So why, did you, why did you choose it as an A-level? It just, uh, that is, because uh, I wasn't bad at maths. I wasn't particularly good at maths. Um, 
I had to do something and uh, I'd run out of things that I wanted to do. So, so, so it was, was your last choice, was it? Yeah, it was, it was not. It was not something I was, uh, you know, I ever saw myself enjoying. It was just something to fill, fill space. You know, I had okay. no particular ambition of going to university at that point, And I was just going through the motions. I was equally ambivalent about all of them, I'd say. <laughs> no, English and history, I really liked. And, uh, and then I took physics and maths. Physics I was interested in because there was, you know, some, some tangible interest in physics. And, and maths goes well with, with that. And it's not a bad thing to do. And I just sort of uh, went along with it. But I, I didn't see the point of it. I didn't see the... You know, I didn't see, there wasn't a clear reason for me to do it. There wasn't. A, okay. I didn't have a strong motivation to do it. Okay. And you uh, got, am I right in thinking you got a B in your GCSE? Something like that, yeah. Not exceptionally yeah. well. Yeah. I don't so, know what so I got. Then, so then you started learning A-level. Yeah. And that went quite well for you. And you <laughs> yeah. chose at the end of year 12, to do further maths didn't you yeah so right? I, I i'd started doing further maths yeah at the end of year 12 and then because i'd sort of uh you know i discovered a bit late that i wanted to do maths i wasn't really uh you know the, the rest of my courses hadn't gone very well my a levels hadn't gone fantastically all around maths i remember i got a decent result in at the end of the uh, at the end of the two years and and i didn't have any offers from universities that i really wanted to go to I had the chance to do another year, uh, an extra year of school. And it, for me, at that point, it seemed more than worth it to invest another year in uh, retaking things. And now that I had something I actually wanted to do to make the effort to go and do it and go somewhere where I wanted to go. And that was a very good decision. That. And then you went to Bristol, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Did a degree in maths? Yeah. Did a, did a, did a, a one of those integrated masters. So I did... Uh, did four years there and uh, then went straight on to do a PhD in Exeter. And then uh, after, after the PhD at Exeter, I sort of, my PhD didn't, didn't go very well and uh, not, it didn't go badly, but it didn't go excellent. As well as you would have liked. Yeah, and uh, I was sort of a bit undecided whether I wanted to carry on trying to do research or not. And so I took some time off to, uh, to, to think about this. So I just took some, did this teaching work for uh, in Trieste for a year. And then I started writing a paper with, the, with my boss there. He came to me with a, with a maths problem that we started looking at and we started working on it. And I got really involved again and... Uh, and then I started applying for jobs in the summer and, and got the one here and then the one in Exeter afterwards, which are just yeah. research positions. Okay. Um, it's, it's interesting to think where you've, where you've ended up though and, and how much of it was down to kind of like the throw, throw the dice or, you know, the sliding door moment, I think is the expression yeah. these days, isn't it? That you could have easily have ended up in a very different position. Yeah. And, and so I can, I can say... Specifically, I have one very strong memory of, I think it probably would have been in the first term of A-levels or in the second term of A-levels, where, where there was a moment where I really uh, became interested, probably one of the first moments where I really became interested. And it was when 
uh, you introduced uh, differentiation. I think that's what we were doing. You know, you were t t and you you produced, you'd given us all a piece of graph paper, and we had to plot the graph of x squared or something like this. And then with a ruler, we went and tried to approximate the tangent of, of this. And then you gave us time to think about trying to work out the relationships between the between the tangent and the the value at the point. And you know, is there is there a pattern there? Is there something you can spot? And then bit by bit you revealed the answer, you know, what it was. I don't know if some people managed to work it out that it was 2x or or whatnot, but over over the course of a couple of lessons, we got to the point where we knew it was 2x. And then uh, and then I remember you proving it. You provided a, a proof of this fact. You, 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 you drew it on the board, you know, if you have a small interval like this and a small interval like this, and you, you make this interval smaller and smaller and this one smaller and smaller, you can see that it's going to approach uh, 2x. And this is, uh, that's maths, you know, learning <laughs> that the derivative of a polynomial is uh, you would take down the power and uh, reduce it by one is not maths. That's uh, that's an algorithm that might have some meaning. It might not have any meaning, but seeing it, understanding it, and having some intuition behind it is uh, is that's what maths is, and that's uh, and that's lovely, and that's and that is such a valuable process. It's, it's valuable for somebody who goes on to be an engineer, but it's valuable for anybody because in, in that process, you have to think deductively. You have to reason deductively. You're learning how to, well, if this is true and this is true, then this is true. And this, this chain of logical thought and uh, how but to at go the age, from... At the age that, I, that, that you went through that process in my classroom, you wouldn't have had those thoughts, would you? You wouldn't have thought, oh, this is this is maths now, and uh, no, you know, this, no, is, this is received yeah. wisdom. But no, but there was something about that process that you found satisfying. Well, because it's because it's because it is satisfying. Because the thing I didn't like about maths was was memorizing stuff. You know, I do. I, I've got absolutely zero interest in in memorizing things or calculating things. To be honest, I mean. I spend most of my working days trying to avoid doing <laughs> calculations. If I've got an integral to do or something like that, I'll look it up in a book or, uh, or Google it, <laughs> you know, but um, <laughs> it's, uh, but what I always liked was, uh, was thinking and like, you know, and uh, I like logic. Logic is satisfying. The solving a puzzle is satisfying. Mm. Um, having, a problem that you do not know how to solve immediately and slowly going through the process to where you've solved it is a gratifying process. That feels good to almost everybody, right? That's uh, whether so it's a mathematical thing or not. Do you think the fact that you had some ownership of the process was part of why that stuck in your mind? That's stuck yes. in your mind. Yes, because I, I think so. I think it's the having the, the, having the, uh, the, the freedom to think about it and and be stuck and realize what's why it's difficult or why it's interesting or you know and uh, and do you think I, yeah. it could have could could that have been replicated from a textbook do you think if you'd been given the textbook 
and I think it's, the I right think it's hard. I think it's very hard to do that in a text. But I think you probably, in, in theory, you could. You know, if you had a really good set of exercises that guided you through the various steps. But it's, um, it's. Um, I think even more at that at that at that point at that age and that the, the for for students, you know, at school. It, you haven't got the same flexibility in the textbook to to uh, to to do this effectively. You might come up with a system that works for half the class, but not the other half. And uh, yeah, um, yeah, I, I wonder whether that was happening anyway. I wonder whether what was working for you maybe wasn't sure. working for others in the, in your class. No, and no. they were frustrated because they wanted something a bit more mechanistic and yeah yeah and, uh, and um you I, I guess you've got to find the right balance between the two things um, mm. you can't you i think it would be uh be wrong to just solely adopt one of the two approaches but um mm. but uh yeah we used to use textbooks didn't we as well i mean there's, yeah there's no denying that you know at times they, they some, served a purpose things. There were some good problems in some of the textbooks. There were some really yeah. good, uh, yeah. Um, but there, there's, I don't think there's anything, anything wrong with with textbooks. But they're not, they're no replacement for discussion. That's a, mm. that's a thing. Is that that's something that we did quite a bit in classes. Talk about things and share ideas, yeah. and uh, that's more interesting. That's much more engaging than sitting and reading on your own. And I, I bet that for most people they learn better in that environment as well. I've got yeah. no idea if you can say that's true or not, but I bet you anything that, I mean, having an environment where you can share your thoughts about things and then hear somebody disagree with you or agree with you and having a back and forth about it is much more interesting. And, uh, and you gain a lot more because you hear a lot of different opinions. It's not just the opinion of the textbook, which you have to accept and that's it. It's a, uh, it's a different it's a different thing mm. it's interesting as well when you when you said about you, you described the process and you said oh he got me to draw y equals x squared on a piece of graph paper and then you you got a ruler out and or we got a ruler out and looked at the yeah. tangents and so on and I, I i immediately felt a little bit kind of i balked a little bit because i thought well in this day and age you wouldn't probably go there you you'd get the technology out and you'd get some sort of graphing yeah. technique Graphing nurse package to put yeah, the tangent no, for you. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I mean, so. And I would do that. You know, I would do. Yeah. That. No, computers are great and stuff, but they, they, they're. Uh, they do you a, think actually it would have worked better? It still would have worked better with the actual. Yeah, I think I think that's good. I mean, like tangible. Uh, I mean, in this university here, there's not a single smart board. You know, all really? of the rooms, all of the rooms have just got a chalkboard in them and that's it. All of the lecture theatres just have chalkboards. Nobody ever uses slides. Everything is. Uh... That's interesting. And that's how the, the work, you know, in fact, the, probably mathematicians, are the only people in universities that insist on having chalkboards and don't want anything else. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's really interesting. For me, I, I, I was wondering what you were going to cite as the example, because for me, noticing your responses, I've got another um, episode yeah. which, which stuck in my mind. And I don't know whether you recall this particular moment. Um, I think it would have happened prior to the one you described. Yeah. 
Um, I went into the, I'd already kind of noticed that you were doing very well, but I went into the class, I think I had the, the pleasure of trying to teach you how to find the point of intersection between curves and straight lines or something like that. <laughs> and, you know, it was never one of my favorites. Yeah. And I think I went in with a half-baked idea. I was very underplanned of getting you to choose a circle. I was, I was thinking, we'd do one together and then I'd get the whole class to choose one of their own yeah. and, and a straight line. Yeah. And I, I think I asked for, for a circle from somebody yeah. Do you, is this ringing any bells? It, it's sort of, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, we had the, I think we had the circle up on the whiteboard. It was probably mm -hmm. a, drawn on a autograph or something. Yeah. And, and then somebody said, and I asked somebody for a straight line, and it was probably something quite straightforward, like y, y equals x plus one or something like that. Yeah. And it went through the circle in two points. Yeah. And, I, and the first exercise was to find where those two points were. Yeah. Which is a, a kind of... It, it's, it's a nice bit of math because it's relatively involved, but it's not particularly yeah. well. But then I think it was probably you, but I can't hand on heart remember. Somebody suggested shifting that line up so that it was no longer going through the circle. Yeah. But running parallel to the original line. Yeah. And I think, you know, I posed the question, well, that's going to cause something else to happen. Yeah. And what's the effect going to be on the algebra? And then you looked at the algebra and, and noticed that the, something happened to the discriminant in the quadratic mm. that you subsequently produce. And I think I noticed you being really quite excited by that, you know, the fact that yeah. there was this, this link between what was going on graphically and what was happening algebraically. And of course there was Certainly. going to be something, you know, and that's yeah. so neat. And then I think, you, and I'm sure this was you, you said, well, hang on, there's a middle ground somewhere. There's a point where the line touches yeah. the circle. What's going to happen there? And I said, well, why don't you find out? Yeah. You know, so let's let's find the equation of the line, which just touches the circle. And you, and then of course, you end up with a an unknown within your discriminant, and you're solving yeah. for that unknown. And you I think you really like the fact that you're using algebra within algebra to. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I, I, and I remember that moment as being, you know, your response to that was, it was so um, sort of untainted with any sort of cynicism, you know? It was just a real pure thrill that yeah. you were doing something that you'd never done before. You hadn't, I don't think you'd considered working in that way before. No, no, for almost And I, I don't not. know whether you remember this incident, Doug, but it, it's always stuck in my mind. I think there were a lot like that. There were that was that there were it was full of incidents like that where I was discovering lots of little things that that were so satisfying in that way. And, but uh, you were part of the reason why it happened, you know. And I think that's not to be overlooked. The fact that I could have done that with a different class and the outcome would have been completely different, and we wouldn't have ended up going to that point. And you know the yeah, you know I don't know. I don't ultimately. I, I always worry. I always worried um, that for some of the students in the class, it was probably a step too far and they were feeling like, mm, mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not going, I'm not getting what's going on here. So, yeah. you know, there's always that tension, but it was, it was too good an opportunity to pass up. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that where you ended up with that 
um, further maths class. That was like the best class I've ever taught, the most enjoyable class I've ever taught because you were it all. It was one of the most fantastic. enjoyable classes I've, I've participated in. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was really good. Because they were all keeping really up. Good. You were all keeping up with each other. Really, everybody was yeah. strong. And, and there was a really nice atmosphere in there and everybody was in it for the right reasons. It was great. Yeah. And, and I didn't have to worry about those things, about, you know, is this going beyond people's comfort zone and yeah. are they going to be worrying about it and so on. Yeah. Do you find that doing what you did at A-level a prepared you well for the degree? Uh, yes and no. So in a lot of ways, yes. And in a lot of ways, I don't know. I mean, so the, um, no, it certainly did. It certainly did. It certainly did because it was it was uh it's uh what's the best way to put it because so 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 the the, the maths i did during my degree was completely different so almost all of it with some exceptions was you know very far away from the 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 the, the stuff we did together because it's it, they were completely different topics, um, but the uh, the skills are the same. The skills so even the at the start of the course, even when you there was no kind of catching up, getting everybody to the same point. Let's make um, sure that those people who haven't done further maths uh, know about complex numbers. And I mean, they did they did a little bit of that when you did. Um, I don't know when we started doing complex analysis, but they they they. Um, I mean, Bristol wasn't very forgiving in that, in that, <laughs> in that sense. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it probably depends where you go, right? And I think Bristol was probably sort of a middle, middle ground. Like, imagine if you went to Cambridge, it'd be even worse. And, uh, and if you went to How would it have been if you hadn't done further maths? Would it have been too much, do you think? Um, yes, I think so. Yes, I mean, there are a lot of things that you'd need to catch up on. A lot of things that you would need to, you'd need to catch up on. Because all of the uh, linear algebra was in further maths, right? All the matrices and the, uh, the, the eigenvalues and eigenvectors and all of this and complex numbers, that was all in, in further maths, wasn't it, that we covered? Yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah. they were, um, and, and people assumed that you knew all of that stuff, you know, from the start. And so, hmm. yes, it was certainly essential. I mean, it's really really essential but then it moved on quite quickly to things that i'd just never seen or thought about before you know that, that is uh, and that's and and that's good i think i think that's good but i think the uh, the course all in all it was a was a was a very good preparation the a level the further maths and the and the standard a level was a very good preparation um, was the was the degree what you thought it was going to be no no no, it was different. It was different. It was uh, um, it was a bit surprising, actually. But I In mean, so, it's, um, so there was um, because um, you you're introduced to so many concepts that you just I had never thought of as existing before. I'd sort of left thinking, oh, okay, I've got a reasonably good knowledge of. Uh, of what's going on and you know I know a bit about this I know about a bit about this and you know I'm sure it will just continue right it'll just get harder with the same stuff but harder 
and, uh, and that's not really the case. It was just a lot of completely different stuff as well. And you, you know, you had lots of choices. There were lots of things that you could have done that were uh, more similar to what we did at A level, but more advanced and and harder, and slowly building up. And then there were things that you know that we never would have thought of before. You know, and, and you chose those ones, did you? Yeah, largely, yes. <laughs> and that's, and that's what I, I, I really enjoyed. You know, I, I changed. What I really enjoyed about maths changed in, in university, and, and that, was, that was good. You know, I discovered a lot of new things. That... So you ended up doing a, your PhD in, is it ergodic theory or something? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And I, I recall you coming into Ivorybridge at some point after you left to have a chat, and you told me you were doing your PhD at the time. Yeah. I think you might have mentioned what you were doing, but yeah. it didn't mean anything to me. I didn't really understand what you were talking about. Um, is Does it bear any sort of relation to stuff that we would have done at... Yeah, certainly, months? certainly. So, I mean, it's it's a very simple premise. Your, the, 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 the thing you want to study is you have a, you have a function from some space to itself. This could be a set of numbers, it could be uh, an interval, it could be something, an ob a geometric object like a circle or a sphere, or it could be a completely abstract object, but it's a function from some space to itself. And you want to understand what happens if you take a point in your space, you apply this function over and over again. So you apply this function once and you get a new point. You apply your function a second time and you get a, a third point. And you repeat and repeat this process and you want to understand what happens uh, in the limit as you, as you do this so a bit process. Like, um, is this a bit like what Mandelbrot was doing? Yes, yeah, exactly, yes, exactly, exactly. So it's, 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 that's, the, that's the, basic, the, the basic premise and uh, this, is a very it's a very powerful model right you can model in theory you can model any process that evolves over time in this way that your your passage of time is uh, is applying this function over and over again and uh, you want to understand what happens in a uh, long time when uh, when uh, you apply this function sort of repeatedly do you get some uh, convergence to something do you get see lots of interesting behaviors what what happens and uh, ergodic theory is a very small part of studying these sort of systems which focuses on using uh, prop, uh, techniques from probability theory largely is what i do in applying them to this because what you you often can't say what will happen to a to a point when you apply this function over and over again but what you can say is something what will happen to a typical point? What will happen on average? And you get some really beautiful results out of this. On that note, I'd like to thank Tom and Doug for sharing their reflections with us. And I hope it will give you, the listeners, some food for thought in teaching your older students this term. And before we finish, I'd like to leave you with a maths problem from Doug. You have a, uh, you have a bicycle. Okay, standard bicycle with two wheels, you know. <laughs> No air resistance, no friction. 
<laughs> and this bicycle is moving in a straight line. And on the ground, there is a strip of wet paint. Okay, and the bicycle passes through this strip of wet paint and leaves a pattern on the floor. So this, this, this strip of wet paint is, you know, transversal to the bike, you know, where the mathematicians say, well, if they're parallel, they don't touch or, you know, they, but the bike definitely crosses this strip of paint. It picks up a little bit of paint on the wheels and leaves a pattern. And you've got to describe what the, what the pattern is that the, the bike leaves behind. And, and presumably, because you haven't told me this, this, the thickness of the strip of paint. I mean, okay, it's, it's of some thickness, right? It's of some thickness, the strip of paint. Uh, if, if the strip of paint is thicker than the, the circumference of the wheel, then you just get a, a, line, a line, I guess. But yeah. let's say it's smaller than the circumference of the wheel. It's just a little, you know, it's a little thin strip of paint. Yeah. And, and you, you're going in an exactly straight line, so your back yep. wheel goes over your front wheel. Exactly, yeah. And your wheels are going at the same speed as each other. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, it took me ages to get this, actually. It took me quite a while. <laughs> well, just through a thought, thought process. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the uh, so think about one wheel. What would happen with one wheel? The both was a unicycle. What would happen with one wheel? Well, you just get um, you get a line on the ground, which is the length of the arc. It's the equivalent arc length of the bit that's gone through the paint. Yeah, so you get it's, it's roughly so once line. every diameter you're getting a dot on the floor, right? Yeah. You, the wheel hits, then sorry, once every circumference after every full turn you're leaving another dot on the yeah. on the floor yeah. in front of it, and you get a sequence of yeah. dots all equally spaced. Now, yeah, what so happens the, with two? Yeah, well, that's what I don't. I, I'm struggling with because I don't. I mean, surely it would make a difference on the. The frame size would make a difference and things like that, wouldn't it? No. no. And this so is the, what distance you think, the, right? the distance between the wheels doesn't make a difference? No. Well, even if your bike was a kilometre long? Yeah. The wheels are the same size as each other. Does that matter? Yeah, yeah the wheels are the same size as each other. So a penny a farthing wouldn't, wouldn't... A penny farthing wouldn't work, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the wheels have to be the same size as each other. Uh, well, I can only think that the back wheel has to superimpose over the front wheel. Exactly. It has to, right? Because it, it has to do exactly the same thing. It doesn't matter if it arrives 10 hours later. It's a wheel of the same size. It'll pick up a bit of paint and then exactly... However long later, one circumference later, it will leave another dot exactly where the other one is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, I think this is a, a beautiful problem because everybody thinks that there's two sets of dots, right? The first thing you think 
most people that have asked this, students and other, uh, and other mathematicians, they always think that there are two sets of dots and it depends on the speed of the bike and how far the wheels are apart and they start getting out, drawing pictures and doing trigonometry, but it doesn't. And, uh, and the thing that I think is so nice about this problem is that you can solve it by first simplifying you take something you don't know how to solve and you simplify it. Do you take, take it, go from two wheels to one wheel? You have a solution for one wheel. And then from that, you can build a solution for two wheels. But then after you've got the solution for two wheels, you've really understood it, right? Nobody could, can, could convince you otherwise. Nobody could take away your uh, understanding of that. You've really, you've really worked it out. It's the diff, and this is a, was an example of the difference between understanding something and knowing something. How many busy. people would listen to that and think, I haven't done any maths? How many I, Yeah, but that's maths. That's, 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 yeah. that's the job, is, is exactly that. And that's, um, I do lots of problems like that, as many as I could. You know, you need to find good problems. It's hard to find good problems like that. But then, you know, from there, you can generalize. This is the other amazing thing. After you've understood what happens with two wheels, you know what happens if it's got a thousand wheels. You know what happens. Of the same size. Yeah, exactly. What happens with a penny farthing? Well, well, you get two, two sets of dots then. One set of dots, one hmm. further apart, and one set of dots closer. And occasionally those dots will coalesce, presumably. Maybe. Uh, that's a good question, that. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do subscribe and share it. You can also get in touch with us via Twitter or through our website if you've anything you'd particularly like to hear a podcast about or if you know someone we really should interview. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.